Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you again, Lord, that it is living and breathing. We pray, Lord, it would minister to each heart that's here today. Make us receptive to hear from you, and may you be our teacher. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. The title of today's message is Debate and Division, and that's what happens when the Word of God is brought forth without compromise. It brings forth debate among people, and it also brings division, because Jesus Christ is one who ultimately brings division in people's hearts. Now, it's interesting that in the past few weeks, we've witnessed the truth about what it really means to be a Christian, to truly be a follower of Christ. And, you know, a lot of people think being a Christian means you go to church on Sunday, or maybe you were born in a Christian nation, or, you know, there's a lot of different reasons why people will say they're Christians. We could probably go outside right now and ask, ask the next hundred people to walk by if they're going to heaven, and most of them will probably say yes. But if you asked them why, they wouldn't really have an understanding. Oh, I've been a good person, or whatever it is. But the last few weeks, as Jesus has been ministering to the, to the people, we've seen him very clearly make people understand or tell them what it means to be a follower of his. And it's more than just following him at a distance. Remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus was performing miracles and the crowd was pressing in on him. This huge throng came to the Lord because, you know, he had healed the lame man and he had fed the 5,000 with the little boy's lunch. And people loved to come for the miracles. And the crowd was pressing in and they wouldn't leave Jesus alone because he was doing these great and wonderful works. But we also saw that when Jesus began to teach them the word and give them the truth of his word, that most people walked away. They came for the miracles, but the Word of God was the thing that divided between those who truly wanted to follow Him and those who were simply coming for a physical blessing. A lot of people come to God today because they want to be ministered to here and now. They want to be blessed. They want to be, you know, have stuff. They want to be given things. But they don't truly want to follow the Lord and give their lives completely to Him. So He moves from the miracles to the message. And again, we'll see that most people, as we did, walked away and followed Him no more. One of the things he said that was very difficult, and as we're going to take communion this morning, I think it's appropriate. He told them that not only must you follow me, but you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And, you know, the people said, boy, this is a hard saying. What does that mean? I must eat of your flesh and drink of your blood to truly be a follower of yours. And what it means is that following Christ is not, again, following at a distance, but it's literally taking him into your body, into your life, giving him the throne and giving him control. It's denying yourself, taking up the cross and following him. And the people responded by murmuring and complaining. They began to argue. And then we know that most people followed him no no more, it said. At the end of that, Jesus turned to his own apostles and he said to them, are you guys going to leave too? Are you guys going to go away too? I mean, everybody else has left. I've given the truth of my word. And I love Peter's response because Peter said, Lord, where else could we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what? Until we come to the point of knowing and understanding who Jesus truly is, until we find out that it's more than following Christ at a distance, but having that intimate, personal relationship with Him. Jesus did not die on the cross so that we could join religious country clubs. Amen? He died on the cross that he might have intimate, personal fellowship with every single person in this room. We're going to continue to see that as we move through the Word this morning. Jesus Christ alone, is through, through Him alone, all things exist. It's only in Him that we can have hope. It's only in Him that we can have love. It's only in Him that we can have life. He's the reason that we breathe, that we were created to have intimate fellowship with Him. And again, most people heard these words and walked away. And then last week we saw his own brothers. Remember how his brothers responded to the Lord? Now again, we talked about the fact that Jesus had earthly brothers. 
Unlike what you might hear in some churches today, Mary was, did not remain a virgin her whole life, and she's not the co-redemptrix with Christ, and she's not a, another path to heaven. Mary was a, a woman blessed among women, but Mary was a sinner in need of a Savior. Amen? And we see here that he had other brothers, and the scary part is that his own earthly brothers, his half-brothers, right, same mom, different dad, amen, and his half-brothers did not believe in him. And we talked about the fact, can you imagine growing up with Jesus as your big brother? I mean, to me it would be an awesome thing, but you talk about someone being compared to your brother, that would be pretty rough. You know, why don't you be more like Jesus? Oh, well, I... I can't, right? Because you're not God. It's physically impossible. You know, Jesus was perfect. He was holy. He was loving. But his brothers, instead of repenting and serving him, they mocked him. And we saw last week they dared him to go up into Judea because they knew the Jews wanted to kill him. They said, we dare you to go up there. And they sarcastically treated the Lord that way. And we know then that the Lord did go up and he went into the temple. And the first time we saw him go into the temple, he cleansed it because they turned his father's house into a den of thieves. But this time he went in and, and he went in and he taught the truth of the word. And when he taught, it says that the Jews, the religious leaders marveled because he had never been to seminary. How does he know all of this? He's never been to the rabbinical school. You know, he's never been to seminary. How in the world does he know these truths? And it's been said that the rabbis taught from authorities, but Jesus taught with authority. Jesus Christ is the word, amen? And he taught with power because he's God. And you know what? We are to teach the Word, not to teach the opinions of men, but the Word of God. So this week we're going to continue to see Jesus' words creating debate and hostility among the people, ultimately resulting in division. Most will miss the Messiah. But Jesus said this in Matthew 10, Do not think that I come to bring peace on earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now what does that mean? You know what? Jesus came to bring peace to your life individually in the sense that you cannot have peace unless you know the Prince of Peace. That we are all sinful people separated from holy and perfect God. And we cannot get there through our own good works. We cannot attain righteousness. That's why God sent His Son and He reached down to us through the person of Jesus Christ that we might have a relationship with Him. And if you know the Prince of Peace, you will have peace in your life. But at the same time, Jesus Christ and His words bring division in that those who follow Him will have a, a supernatural love for Him, but those who reject His word will be divided from Him. And it will bring division, even in our families, in our homes. And again, I'm not saying that we should not love our family. We absolutely should love our family. We absolutely should have a burden for our family, that they would all come to know Christ. But when you have Jesus in common, you've got everything in common. And when you don't know the Lord, there's a division that automatically comes, and that's what Jesus said would come. So this morning we're going to see Jesus brings peace to the hearts of individuals, but there'll be division among those who reject Him. They didn't know who Jesus was, they didn't know where he was from, and they didn't know where he was going. Let's pick up in verse 25, and we're going to see immediately where Jesus is from. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? Jesus had just stood up in the temple, he had taught with authority, and the, the people that were there in Jerusalem, remember again, this was the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the three major feasts in Jerusalem where every male over the age of 20 was to go to Jerusalem. The Feast of Tabernacles was when they remembered their wandering in the wilderness. And it was during that time that they would literally set up little booths or tents to remember the time they wandered in the wilderness and God's provision for them. And they would all come up at that time, so Jerusalem was packed with people. And Jesus had gone into the temple and he began to teach with authority. And the people standing by knew that the word had been out, that they wanted to kill Jesus because of his words. But yet he, here he was teaching with authority and the people stood by and said, is this not he 
whom they seek to kill. Here the residents, again, they understand, they're saying, you know, wait a minute, we don't get it. How come they, they, they say things about him, they say they want to kill him? You know, earlier in verse 20, Jesus said, you know what, I came and I healed a man on the Sabbath and you seek to kill me. And the Jewish religious leader said, you're demon-possessed, no one wants to kill you. But here we see even the, the crowd knew that they were seeking to kill the Lord. And why did they want to kill him? Because he healed a man on the Sabbath. Because he healed a layman, because he touched and transformed somebody's life. The ultimate picture of religious hypocrisy. Not concerned about the hearts of people. Not concerned about the lives of people being transformed, but being concerned about rituals and rules and religion, if you will. Verse 26, But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? They were amazed that in spite of this threat of the religious leaders, Jesus spoke boldly and was getting away with it. Jesus, God in the flesh, focused solely only on doing the will of the Father, had no fear of men. You know, Jesus knew that men wanted to kill him, but it did not dial down his message. You know, too often today we think that as Christians, you know, we should be undercover. We should blend into the world. We should be just like the world. But you know what? The Bible says that we're, not, we're to be in the world, but not of the world. We're to set our mind on things above and not on things of the earth. We should be glowing in the dark for Jesus Christ. Amen? Because this is a dark place that we live in. And God, you know, people were not attracted to Jesus because he was just like everyone else. Amen? He didn't just blend in. He was teaching the truth and doing it always in love. And we see here that they marveled and Jesus got up and he spoke with great boldness. You know, a lot of times people think of Jesus as being meek, and meek meaning weak, but meek does not mean weak. Meek means strength under control of your master. You know, big, huge, those big, huge Clydesdale horses, they're meek. They're big, they're strong, they're powerful, but they're under control of the master. And Jesus spoke with boldness because though he is 100% God, he also was called to do the will of the Father, and he spoke with great boldness, and the people marveled at his words. They said, do the rulers know? This indicates that the crowd and the, and the rulers were in great confusion and uncertainty as to who Jesus was and what to do about him. Remember, the confusion and uncertainty are no different than unbelief because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? You know what? We don't have to hope we're going to heaven. We don't have to hope that we'll be good enough. I know that I know that I know that through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, not my good works, that I'm heaven bound, as DC Talk would say. Amen? I'm going, not because of who I am, but because of who He is. And they were confused. They didn't understand. And it's because of a lack of the Holy Spirit illuminating to them. Remember that the word believe means to know by experience. It doesn't mean to know in a faraway, distant way, but to know Him intimately and personally. One of the names for God is Abba Father. And we know what Abba means. Abba means Daddy. And Daddy is never far away. Amen? We don't serve a God who's galaxies away, who has no time for us, and we're just little specks in the universe. But we are His prized possession. He esteems us greater than all things. He loves us. We're that pearl of great price to Him. We're the thing that He was willing to suffer and die for. He'd rather die than live without you. He loves you so very much. You're that treasured possession to Him. And so because of that, we believe and have that intimate relationship with Him. We can crawl up in His lap and say, Daddy. That's the God we serve. Amen? Not a faraway, distant, uncaring God, but a loving and a close and a personal God we serve. Verse 27. However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Now, it's interesting because the Bible very clearly teaches in Micah chapter 5, verse 2, 
where the Messiah would be born. What does it say? Where would the Messiah supposed to be born? What does the Bible say? Boy, not everybody at once. Where is the Bible supposed to be? Where, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Thank you very much. Man, I was getting worried. Okay. Jesus was born, as we know, in Bethlehem. But these guys say, you know, when the Messiah comes, we don't know where he's going to be coming from. We have no idea. But the Bible very clearly taught that the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. You know what? These guys were ignorant of Scripture. What had happened was oral tradition had overruled the Word of God. What the rabbis taught and the things that were handed down orally became more important than the Word of God. And what happens is when you get away from the Word and you become spiritually ignorant, you will believe a lie. Amen? You know what? Our theme verse for Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz is Romans ten seventeen, which says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And that's why we put so much emphasis on the teaching verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, of the entire Bible because God gave us all of it for a reason. You know, you don't open a letter from a friend and read a paragraph out of page 12 and put it away and then read a paragraph out of page 19 the next day and then read a sentence out of page 2. You'd never have any clue what that letter was about. You'd be a mess, right? That's why it's so important that we read from Jeers John to yours truly and go through the entire Bible because it's the whole counsel of God that transforms our lives. And these guys have become spiritually ignorant, biblically ignorant. Here the Messiah was standing in front of them and they said, well, he can't be the Messiah because we know that when the Messiah comes, Nobody will know where he came from. Well, guess what? That's contrary to Scripture. But they were ignorant to the Word of God, and because they were, they fell for a lie. You know, I was a youth pastor for a long time, most of you know, and I used to just tell our kids in the youth group, my heart would break for them, guys, there's so many people going to lie to you. There's so many things out there that will try to dissuade you and get your eyes off of God. And the only way you're going to know the truth from a lie is if you know the truth, if you know the Word. When you know the Word and you're in love with the Lord and you spend time in His Word daily, when someone brings a lie to you, it's very easy to see it. These guys didn't get it. They heard the words from the rabbi and said, oh, that must be true. I want to encourage you. Don't ever just take what Pastor Dave says to the bank. You check the Bible and make sure the things that I say are so. Any man you hear teaching the Word, any man you hear sharing something that's supposedly from God, you make sure that the Word of God is the authority and it can be found in Scripture. The religious leaders had studied and they, the, the God-given blueprints to the Messiah for centuries and they still missed Him. They were ignorant, they had fallen into tradition, and God's Word is the key to understanding. And again, we shouldn't have to pray to, to find out if things are from God or not when it comes to His Word. If it's in His Word, it's from the Lord. Verse 28. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and I have not come of myself. But he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. Jesus raises his voice so everybody can hear. They're saying, you know what? He can't be the Messiah because when the Messiah comes, we won't know where he's from. Could this be the, oh, I don't think so. And they're confused, and the Lord cries out to them. In the middle of that, he raises his voice, and he says, You think you know me, and where I'm from, you really don't. They knew him physically, but they didn't know him spiritually. They knew about Jesus, and they thought of him as that, you know, the son of Joseph and Mary. They thought of him as a Galilean, as we're going to see later in the text. They didn't even take the time to find out who he truly was. They just made a decision about him. Sadly, most of the world today is making a decision about Jesus Christ without ever taking the time to find out who he truly is. Amen? I've talked to people about it, and they go, oh, man, you know, the Bible, it's full of contradictions. Really? Name one. Well, you know, everybody knows the Bible's been changed. No, I don't know that. That's not the truth. Here's the reality. The Bible, is, as most of you know, it's 66 books, 
written by 40 authors on three continents in three languages over 1,500 years with one central theme and no contradictions. And how's that possible? Because God wrote it. Amen? And we can rest in the Word of God. And the problem is that people become biblically illiterate and they fall for a lie. And the Lord stood up and He said to them, you think you know me, but you've never taken the time to even find out who I am. You want to know the, the God of the Word, you need to know the Word of God. Amen? If you want to know the true and living God, spend time in His Word. This is His love letter to us, and it's how He reveals Himself to us. Verse 29. But I know Him, for I am from Him, and He sent me. Jesus explains that they did not know Him because they did not know the Father. This is a serious accusation against an Orthodox Jew. The Jews pride in themselves in knowing the true God, the God of Israel. And Jesus tells them, I was sent by the Father. He existed before He came. He's basically telling them, I'm God. You know, the number one reason they wanted to kill Jesus is because he proclaimed himself to be God. And we've said this every week, and I'm not going to change the pattern today. Jesus Christ is God. Amen? The book of John it's mainly points to the deity of Jesus Christ. He's not one of many gods. He's not one of many ways. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by Him. And He's telling them very clearly, I am God. I have come from the Father. He has sent me, and you don't even know Him. Again, these guys are sitting around with their black robes on. These guys are the religious leaders of the day. They're ruling in the temple. And Jesus turns to them and says, You don't know Jehovah. You don't know God. Imagine the, 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 oh, the anger and the bitterness that was whipped up within these guys. And instead of coming to the Lord and seeking to know more, they became angry. And as we know, they're going to seek to kill Him. Verse 30, verse 30. Therefore they sought to take Him, but no one laid a hand on Him because His hour had not yet come. You know, God's sovereign timetable, no man can interrupt it. And the reality is that nobody could touch God because it wasn't time for Him yet, Jesus, to go to the cross. You know, we'll see later when we get later in John that they're going to come to arrest Jesus. And when they do, they're going to ask if he is Jesus of Nazareth. And what does he say? He says, I am. And what happens to all the people? Who remembers? They all fall over backwards. So the reality is that nobody took and grabbed and made Jesus go to the cross. He went there willingly and freely out of his love for us. And so these men here don't understand who He is, and they, and they cannot lay a hold of Him. Why? Because God is in control. I've said it many times. We're indestructible until God is through with us. Amen? We're not going to live one second shorter or one second longer than God wants us to. And so they come to grab a hold of Him, but they could not because His time was not yet. Verse 31. And many of the people believed in Him and said, When the Christ comes, will He do more signs than these which this man has done? Jesus brings division. Some people believe. They said, you know what? Is anybody going to come greater than this? Is anybody going to do more signs and more wonders than He has done? In the midst of this vast unbelief, there's a remnant that believed in Him. Many first come to Jesus because of the miracles. We know Nicodemus did that. Remember he came to me and said, you know, Nick at night. Remember the first episode of Nick at night, John chapter 3? Nicodemus shows up and he says to the Lord, you know, you must come from God. We know you're a prophet come from God because no one else could do the things that you do. And Jesus had done these miracles, but it was not the miracles that saved people. It was the Word. But many come, came because of the miracles, but the Word is the thing that transformed their lives. Now, we know where He came from. He makes it clear, I came from the Father. Now He's going to tell them where He's going. Here's where, they didn't know where He was from. They didn't know where He was going. They didn't know who He truly was. And He says, look, here's where I'm from. I've come from the Father. Now, let me tell you where I'm going. Let's begin in verse 32. 
The Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him. And the Pharisees and chief priests sent officers to take him. It's interesting. The Pharisees and chief priests, also the chief priests could also be called the Sadducees. And the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they did not believe in the resurrection. How would you like to be a religious leader who didn't believe in life after death? What is that all about? I'm I'm just trying to figure that out. Why would you want to be a Sadducee? I don't get it. These guys truly were Sadducee. And so the Sadducees and the Pharisees didn't really get along, but the Sadducees and the Pharisees only had one thing that they were united in, and that was their hatred for Jesus Christ. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection, the Sadducees didn't. The Pharisees, you know, believed in in the prophets, and the Sadducees didn't. But yet when it came to Jesus Christ, they came together and attacked him. Not unlike the world today, where you see people from all walks of life coming together to to speak contrary to the Word of God. You'll see nations coming together. You'll see people coming together to go against our Lord, our Savior, and our King. And so it says there that they were, you know, united in their mutual hatred for Jesus. They resented the fact that people were trusting in Him. You know, we're going to lose our following. Hey guys, we've got to do something about this Jesus. He gets up and he teaches with authority. People are starting to think that maybe he is the son of, you know, maybe he is the Messiah. You know, we got to shut him up. We're not going to have our country club anymore. Who's going to pay the dues if everybody leaves? I mean, they didn't care about coming to know God. They cared about the following and the people that were serving them. And so we see here that they sent out officers to take him. Now, it's interesting. These officers were Levites. And the Levites, we know, was the priestly tribe spoken about in the Old Testament. We're going to start Leviticus in about two weeks on Wednesday night. And the Levites were these men who had been trained in the Word. But these Levites were also worked as temple guards. And when people get unruly in the temple, they were sent to, to quiet people. But now they're sending them out to arrest Jesus. And that's just comedy to me. You know, go, you know, go stop the Son of the living God. You know, the one who created the universe, spoke the stars into the sky, go put a halt to Him. It's kind of like when they rolled the stone over the tomb. What comedy is that? You know, put a rock in front. You know, he just spoke the world into existence. This rock will hold him, right? But see, the reality is when you look at him from a physical perspective rather than a spiritual one, you completely and totally missed God. Verse 33. Then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I will go to him who sent me. You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Instead of being arrested, Jesus warned them that they had just a little while to hear the truth and believe. It was not Jesus who was in danger, but the temple guard. He said, you know what? You, You come to arrest me, I'm not in danger, you are. You're in danger of eternal separation. I'm getting ready to go back to my Father. My eyes are focused on heaven, on doing the will of God, on doing the will of my Father. And you come to arrest me, but you're the ones that are in danger. You need to know me. You cannot know the Father unless you have a relationship first with me. And you're the ones who are in danger. He spoke boldly. He was focused on heaven. He did not fear men. And then there in 34 it says, You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. Jesus is referring to His return to heaven after His crucifixion and resurrection. And as in previous messages, the people misunderstood what Jesus was saying. They're not going to get it. They won't understand. And you know what? I want to encourage you with something. Whatever you're going through right now, I know several of you, as your pastor, I know several of you are going through different trials. And we've talked about this, that in the midst of the storm is when Jesus shows up. Amen? Remember a couple weeks ago, Jesus walking on the water? He used the very thing that caused the, the disruption of the boat to walk to the people. It became the bridge. The disruption became the bridge to them that Jesus might come to them. 
And if you're going through anything right now, look for Jesus in the storm. God wants to minister to you, whether it's your health or your finances or your job or whatever it might be, the Lord wants to minister to you in the midst of it. And He'll never leave you nor forsake you. And these guys didn't get it because they were looking at things from a physical perspective, not a spiritual, not a spiritual one. Verse 35, Then the Jews said among themselves, Where does He intend to go that we shall not find Him? Does He intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this that He said? You shall seek Me and not find Me, and where I am you cannot come. Again, they're looking at it from a physical perspective. Is he going to another country? Is he going to go among the, the, uh, the Gentiles? Where is he going that we will not find him? Again, from a physical perspective. Had these men been willing to do God's will, they would have known the truth, but soon it would be too late. And we see their ignorance as they respond in a way as to mock the word of Jesus. Where are you going to go where we can't find you? They missed him completely. You know what's interesting to me? There's a, a direct contrast between John 7.34 and John 14.3. John 7.34, Jesus speaking to the religious people said, Where I am, you cannot come. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Then in John 14.3, he says this, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He said to one crowd, you cannot go, come with me where I'm going. Then he said to the other crowd, I'm going to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Here's the reality, you guys. Where we spend eternity is built up and wrapped up in one thing. What kind of relationship do you have with Jesus Christ? Do you know Him? Because if you do not know Him, He would say to you this morning, where I am going, you cannot come. But if you have a personal relationship with Him, if you've repented of your sin, if you've asked Him to be the Lord and Savior of your life, if you've given Him the throne of your life, He would say to you this morning, I will come again and receive you to Myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Now we're going to see the response of the people and the division over Christ as we finish up the chapter. Verse 37, On the last day, on the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to Me and drink. Now, I want you to understand how awesome this is because you need to understand what happened on that last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, during this Feast of Booths or Feast of Tabernacles, what would happen is that they had this special day on the last day in which the priests would march seven times around the altar chanting Isaiah, uh, Psalm 118.25, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. They would then go down and they would take these golden containers and would fill them with water from the pool of Siloam. Siloam means sent one. I love that. Jesus, we see him later, he sends someone into the sent one, and in the sent one they are healed. And who is the sent one? It's Jesus Christ. And they would go down to the pool of Siloam and they would fill these containers up with water and they would come back up in this procession and they would enter into the temple through the water gate and three trumpet blasts were made to mark the joy of the occasion. The people would receive the, the, this procession and they would, they would shout out, Isaiah 12, 3, With joy you will draw water from the well of salvation. So the onlookers are looking on and the priests are standing there and they take this water and they pour it out all over the ground in the temple. Now the reason that they did this was in remembrance of God's provision of the water from the rock as they wandered in the wilderness. Remember when they were wandering in the wilderness and they are dying of thirst? And the Lord said to them, go and strike the rock and out of it will, this water will pour. And enough water to keep three million people from being thirsty. 
And that water poured out continually until they entered into the promised land. That means that rock was moving around with them, by the way, or either that or it was creating such a huge puddle that they couldn't get away from it. But the reality is that the rock was their provision. And out of that rock came this water that made three million people keep from being thirsty. And this is a remembrance of this, this blessing in the wilderness, water coming from the rock. And they're pouring out this water in the temple. And as that's happening, and we know who the rock is. Who's the rock in the Old Testament? Who's that a picture of? Jesus Christ. And they struck the rock, picture of the crucifixion, and out of it came this water that provided for everyone. They're pouring this water out in remembrance of the rock in the wilderness. And at that very moment, Jesus says... You, and look back there again in verse 37. If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. Jesus is letting them know that, you know what? You're doing this in remembrance of the, of the rock. You're doing this in remembrance of what happened as you were wandering in the wilderness. But you know what? If you're truly thirsting, come to me and drink. I'm the, the answer that you've been looking for. Man, I like that a lot. Now it says here, I love the three things that he says to them. I want you to see these three words that summarize the gospel as Jesus gives it to them. First he says, thirst. If anyone thirsts. You know what? There can be no conversion unless there is first conviction. You cannot, you will never come for a glass of water unless you first understand that you're thirsty and in need of it. Amen? So everyone in this room, until we realize that we are sinners in need of a Savior, we will never turn to the Lord. The first thing that we must understand is, you know what? I've blown it. I'm not perfect. Yes, I'm a sinner. There must be conviction. So he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come. You know what? The Lord calls to each one of us. He reaches out to us universally. We accept him individually. He says, I love you guys so much. I want to have a relationship with you but he will never force himself on anybody. That's not the God we serve. He reaches out out of his love for us, but we must respond individually. So if you thirst, you're convicted because of your sin, then he says, come, come. Come unto me, all you who are heavy laden, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You want rest? Come to the Lord. Then thirdly, he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And I believe this is a picture of receiving salvation of accepting his proposal, of saying, I, want, I, I died for you. I want to give my life for you. I've given my life for you. Will you accept the work that I did for you on the cross? Will you repent of your sin and come to me? Man, what a picture of the gospel. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Verse 38. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So when you come to Jesus Christ, and this is what we've been talking about, it's more than following him at a distance. It's more than knowing about who he is. It's more than you know, having a Bible in my house or having gone to Christian school or even walking an aisle and praying a prayer necessarily. But it's having an intimate, personal relationship with him. And then he says there in verse, he who believes in me, in verse 38, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So not only will we have an intimate, personal relationship with him, but then it will change the way that we live and we will impact the world around us. Not only will we drink of that living water, but that living water will flow out of us and touch the people that are around us. You know, the Bible says, by your fruit they shall know you. And a lot of times, we think that Christianity is joining an organization, but the reality is it's dying to self and becoming a new creation in Christ. And when that happens, we change. And you drink of, that, of the regular water. Remember John chapter 4, when he spoke to the woman at the well, he says, you drink of the water that you're drawing, you're going to be thirsty in a few hours. But you drink of the water I give you, and you will never thirst again. 
And so he's saying, look, don't look for the physical anymore. Come to me for the spiritual water, that water that will satisfy you forever. Again, not just that we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, but that He would be flowing out of us and it would be contagious. Verse 39. But this He spoke concerning the Spirit, whom those believing in Him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. The Holy Spirit came when? When did the Holy Spirit fall upon the church? Where in the Bible? Who remembers? Acts chapter 2. After Jesus had ascended to the Father, He told them, wait here. Not many days from now, I will send a helper. And that helper is the Holy Spirit. And this is why I believe that we are the most blessed of all believers ever. Those of us in this room, you know why? The Old Testament saints were looking forward to the coming Messiah. And and depending on when they lived, they may have had some of the Bible, some of the Law and the Prophets, maybe none of it. Then in the the New Testament, early first uh, first century saints got to walk with the Lord, which would absolutely be awesome, but at one point he would uh, leave them. And they did not have the completed revelation of God's Word the way that we do. And more importantly, they did not have the Holy Spirit living inside of them. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. It says in Ephesians 1 that he accepts, adopts, redeems, chooses you, and and he seals you with this Holy Spirit. How do you know that you're a child of God? His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. Amen? He's with the world, they calm their conscience. But when you become born again, He comes to live inside of you. What an awesome thing. It's, a, it's like redemption. It's a bang. It's a, it's a mark. It's like being tattooed. This is mine. He belongs to me. He's my son. He's my daughter. She or he is my child. Now it's interesting here that what is the result of Jesus' word when He says, Come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. How do the people respond? They respond by being divided. We're almost done. Look at verse 40. Therefore many of the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will Christ come out of Galilee? So first of all, some were convinced. Some heard his words and said, This is the prophet. This is the Christ. So we're going to see this division. Right away, some people responded to the word. But then look at the second half of verse 41. Will the Christ come from Galilee? Has not the Scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David, from the town of Bethlehem where David was? And there was division among the people because of him. Some disbelieved due to ignorance. They said, isn't he from Galilee? The Bible said, you know, the Old Testament says that that will come out of Bethlehem. Well, here's an idea. Go ask him where he was born. Because he wasn't born in Galilee. Amen? He was born in Bethlehem, but they didn't take the time to get to know Jesus Christ. They, they made a judgment about him without getting to know him. Some react with, were convinced. Some believe, disbelieve due to ignorance. And others were going to react with hostility. Look at verse 43 and 44. There was di- division among the people because of him. Now some wanted to take him, but no one laid hands on him. Can you imagine Jesus says, hey, if you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And I will give you living water. Come to me and I'll satisfy that God-shaped vacuum in your life. Come to me and I will give you eternal life. Kill him. I don't like those words. I I don't understand how people cannot love that message. Amen? But at the same time, it's because of ignorance to the word. It's because I want to be on the throne of my own life. I don't want to give it up for the Lord. Verse 45. Then the officers came and chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? And the officer said, no one ever spoke like this man. It's interesting. The Levites went out to arrest Jesus. 
They've been trained in the word. These guys were priests. They show up to arrest Jesus. They hear him teaching, and he teaches with such power, they just go home. They didn't arrest him. Instead of them arresting Jesus, they were arrested by his words. His word had such an impact on them, they just said, oh, man, I'm not arresting him. That guy's speaking with power like, no thanks. I'm not trying to arrest him, no way. And they come back, and the Pharisees say, hey, we sent you out to arrest him. What's happening? How come you haven't brought him back? They said, oh, man, his words are powerful. You notice what it is that touches the heart of men? It's the Word of God. Amen? What is it that transforms lives? It's the Word of God. It's the Word, the Word, the Word. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. Now look how the religious authorities in the last five verses here respond. Then the Pharisees answered and said to him, Are you also deceived? Have have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? Now they're acting like that's a good thing. Right? Hey, we're the self-righteous guys with the black robes, man. We got, the, we got the seats. We're in the Sanhedrin. We're part of the 71-member official council. Have any of us believed in him? Boy, those are some heavy words they were going to be accountable for for eternity. Amen? You know, none of us have believed in him. What, you deceived also, speaking to the Levites? What, are you, got, you guys simpletons? You don't understand? You actually believe the words that he's speaking? The Pharisees, again, considered the people... Again, looked at them as, as people to oppress, people to look down upon because they were self-righteous. They thought they were wise and too wise to be deceived. You know, the Bible says that men are drawn, drawn away by their own intellect. Have you ever met anybody like that? They think they're so intelligent that they're smarter than God. You ever meet those people? You start talking to them and they think they're smarter than God. Well, you know, I, might, I got this degree and that degree. You know what? PhD piled high and deep, right? I mean, here's the reality. God is greater God is so great. His, the Bible says that, his, that the wisdom of men is foolishness to God. God is so much smarter than any man ever thought he could be. He created you. You know, let me see you create a life force. Let me push, see you put some stars into the sky and then come back and talk to me, right? I mean, but here's what happens is these guys were drawn away by their own intellect, by their own knowledge, and thought they were so smart that they didn't need God. They didn't need to listen to the words of Jesus Christ. Verse 50, excuse 49. 48. Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. The Pharisees considered the people accursed because they did not keep their beliefs regarding oral tradition and law. They said, you know what? You guys don't keep the law, so you're going to be accursed. But here's the reality, you guys, and we're almost done. The law is not something that saves us. The law is a mirror or a schoolmaster that drives us to the cross, the Bible says. When you look at the law, it's like putting a mirror up in front of your face, and it shows you your imperfections. You know, when I get up, and it's not pretty. When I get up in the morning, and my hair is, you know, I don't have much, so it doesn't really sit in place when I'm sleeping. I look like Bozo or something. I got hair all over. And you get up and look at the mirror, and you go, oh, that's not good. Give me some gel, right? And you just, you mat it down. And when you look, it reveals your imperfections. And I don't take the mirror off the wall and start rubbing my hair with it, because that wouldn't do me any good. But what these guys are saying is that they, they oh, you don't keep the law. Well, the reality is, you can't keep the law. And the law reveals to you that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Now, again, that doesn't mean we just don't, don't follow it or just disregard it completely, but what it does is it reveals our need for Him. And they're saying, you guys, man, you don't keep the law. Well, neither do you, Mr. Pharisee. Amen? You know, take the beam out of your own eye before you start picking the speck out of your brother's eye. You guys are a mess and you just don't get it. Verse 50 and 52. And 52. Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night, back in John 3, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he is doing? We see here that Nicodemus, who had come to Jesus, 
It was Nicodemus that Jesus said to him, you must be born again. It was Nicodemus that Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Nicodemus was getting it. And Nicodemus said, hey guys, before you judge him, you think you might want to listen to him a little bit? Here's an idea. Why don't we ask him a question? Instead of judging him first, why don't we listen to his words? And then after we listen to his words, then let us make a decision about him. Verse 52. They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? This is a put down. You know, like being called a dog or something. Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Now, they finish off with complete and utter ignorance. Because they first say, Are you also from Galilee? Trying to put Nicodemus down. Then they say, no prophet has ever come out of Galilee. First of all, Jesus wasn't from Galilee, he was from Bethlehem. Second of all, they didn't read the Bible because both um, Nahum, who's a prophet, and Jonah, who's a prophet, were both from Galilee. So here these guys are saying, no prophet has come from Galilee, shows you guys don't read the Bible. And then second of all, they're saying that Jesus is from Galilee, which proves they don't even listen to the Lord as he's trying to speak to them. You know what? It's a picture of what happens in the world today. People have scales on their eyes and they miss the Savior. They're so focused in on the physical that they missed the eternal. And then in verse 53 it says there, And everyone went to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. The Pharisees had revealed their ignorance and they, wa- and they, dis- they flat out missed the Savior. They claimed to have authority. They claimed to have been given divine revelation. Doesn't that sound like the false teachers today? False teachers today will claim divine revelation and say, only they got it. Always check it against the word. Be like the Bereans. Study to see if these things are so. Amen? But Jesus went to, says that they all went home and Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now this contrasts the story in the Bible that I love. How many remember the story of the road to Emmaus right after Jesus died on the cross? Remember they were going on the road to Emmaus, the two men are walking and Jesus comes walking up beside them. And he says to them, So what's going on, guys? And they say, oh, don't you know? Don't you know? Haven't you heard about what's happened in Jerusalem? That, you know, Jesus Christ has been crucified? And it says as they walked along that he then taught them the word. Beginning in the Old Testament, beginning at Genesis, he taught them of himself through the entire Old Testament. And they walked with him for hours. And it says at the end, when he got done teaching them the word, that they constrained him that he would remain with them. They said, you can't leave. He was going to go further, and they grabbed a hold of him and said, no, you're coming home with us. And we see here that these guys heard the word, and what did they do? They went home. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and they went home. I want to encourage you with something. We need to take Jesus home with us. Amen? We need to have such a relationship with him when we hold on to him. Then when we hear his word, it just breaks our heart and say, Lord, no, 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 not, not just one hour on Sunday. Lord, you come home with me. You spend time with me. Lord, I want to be near unto you. And we see that they miss God completely. And we'll see next week just as it continues on as they bring a woman caught in adultery. So in conclusion, that the worship team will come on up. We saw that Jesus Christ is God, that he came down to earth in order to restore sinful man back to holy God. We saw that his heart and his passion was to do the will of the Father, that he had a heavenly focus and no fear of men. So too should our heart, so should our heart be for our, the same as our Savior's, that our passion should be his passion to do the will of the Father. We see that he's the source of living water. That the only thing that can satisfy your thirsty soul is Jesus. 
Not enough money, not enough relationships, not, en- not enough promotions at work, not a big enough house, not enough ability, not enough power before men. Nothing will satisfy outside of him. We see that Jesus is the word and that we should be, not be ignorant to his word. And those that are ignorant to his word missed him. And we also saw that we should not go home without Jesus. May he not just be a source of debate. May he not just be a roadside companion. But may he be somebody that we have an intimate personal relationship with. Don't just know about him. Don't just know who he is. But know him personally and intimately. Be in love with him. I used to ask the youth group, are you in love with Jesus? Is he your best friend? That's what God wants, the relationship God wants us to have with our Savior. Well, right now we're going to move from this and, and we're going to take communion. And I want to encourage you with something. That, first of all, when we take communion here at Calvary Chapel, we don't have no membership here, okay? There's only one church, and we're all a part of it, amen? If you've been born again and you've given your life to Jesus Christ, then you're a part of this church. And when you show up, you're a part of this church. And so when we have communion, it's a remembrance of what Christ did for us on the cross. And if you're born again and you've given your life to him, then this communion is for you, okay? And so what we're going to do in a few minutes is I'm going to take the the tops off the elements. The worship team is going to lead us in some worship songs. And then just I want you to come up as soon as they start leading us in worship and just take the elements and go back and sit at your, your, your chair and take communion. You can take it with your family if you want to. But let me just briefly talk about communion. The blood or the, or the juice represents the shed blood of Jesus Christ and the bread represents his body. And Jesus said the last time he, get, he took that supper with the disciples, he said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Jesus Christ's body was broken so that we might be restored. Amen? And then the juice represents his blood, which was shed for the remission of sins. His body was broken that there might be restoration, and his blood was spilled that there might be forgiveness. And so as we take communion, we're taking it in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. It's not supernatural. It does not become the body of Christ. It's a symbol that points to what was done on the cross. And may it not grow common to us. So this morning as we take communion, I just pray that we would, you know, just come before the Lord. Say, Lord, search my heart. Lord, if I've just been a roadside companion, Lord, I pray, Lord, that I would draw nearer to you. Lord, that you would, I would have an intimate personal relationship with you, that you'd be the most important thing in the world to me. Lord, there's areas of my life, confess your sin before him. Lord, forgive me for my sin. But know that that work's been done. And when he died on the cross, he said, Tetalistai, it is finished. And that Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, just for the power of it. And I pray, Lord, that we would be people who are like the Brians, who study your word to know its truth. And Lord, I pray that we would have a, a supernatural love for you. And Lord, I love for you would we may manifest in the Holy Spirit flowing out of us in a world, to the world around us. And Lord, as we go to this time of communion, I pray that it would not be common and it would not be a ritual. But, Lord, that we would come before you now, and, Lord, that our hearts would just be broken before you, and we would cry out to you, Abba, Father. And, Lord, that we would just do this in remembrance of that awesome and great and wonderful work that you did for us. And, Lord, as we do it in remembrance of you, Lord, just touch our hearts, and may it be a blessing in your presence, Lord, as we remember that great work upon the cross. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we worship you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen.